Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a comedian, podcaster, and libertarian, and this is the one and only Dave Smith. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. Good to be with you. I'm a big fan. Awesome, man. Likewise, bro. So I've done a super brief intro there, but for people who may not be familiar with you, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been doing stand-up for about 14 years now, and I've been a libertarian for about 13 years. And I'm a podcaster and, uh, you know, a, a fierce critic of the government. Awesome. We need more of them. <laughs> so what was it that led you to becoming a libertarian? Uh, it, was, uh, it was Ron Paul, uh, his 2008 campaign. I actually, in late 2007, I found him. And I was kind of a left-leaning uh, young person. I, you know, I'm a Jew from Brooklyn, and that was just like the thing to be. So it was just obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, the only correct thing to be is left-wing. Um, and I really disliked uh, the George W. Bush administration. I hated the wars. I hated the spying and, and the kind of cor- the, the naked corruption. And then I just found this guy Ron Paul, um, who just blew my mind. And it was so many things about his campaign were like paradigm crushing. You know, he he was this incredibly conservative Texan Republican who was bleeding heart anti-war, pro-individual liberties. And I I just I was fascinated by him. And then I started reading his books. And then I started reading a, a bunch of other libertarians, Tom Woods and Peter Schiff. And then I found Murray Rothbard. And that just uh, it was over from there. Awesome, man. And how did you get into comedy? Because I'm always curious to know people's backstories into where they are now. Because as a fellow artist, I know so much grind goes into it. And people tend to see where you are now and discover you when they discover you. But they tend to miss the sort of 15, 20, sometimes 30 years that preceded it, which led up to everything you're doing now. So tell us a little bit more about the story there. Oh, yeah. No, you're completely right about that. Like people, it's it's real easy. I hear people say it all the time, you know, like they'll be like, oh, you're lucky. You know, you have such a great career or something like that. It's like, yeah, because you only know me from when it was successful. <laughs> you don't know about the, the 11 years before anyone cared of just being broke and, and being like, is this ridiculous that I'm even doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I was actually I was good friends and uh, roommates at the time with uh, Louis J. Gomez, who's uh, my brother, another hilarious comedian. And he had started like producing stand-up comedy shows and he was like, he was starting to host them and go up and he basically convinced me. Uh, He was like, dude, you're like the funniest guy I know. You should come do this with me. It'll be great. And just started doing that and open mics. And, you know, I I was always a really big fan of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then just once I, I did it, I just got the bug and, and didn't stop. And then, you know, slowly started grinding my way through the New York comedy scene, um, which is, uh, um, is tough. It's, it's a tough scene, very competitive. Um, and then, you know, just years of, of doing that kind of worked my way up the ranks. And then when the, the podcasting revolution kind of uh, started, that's really when we started, like, developing our, our audience. And, and, you know, that's, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. What do you like most about comedy? Oh, man. I just love, I love hilarious people. I love, I just, there, there's just nothing better. Uh, to me, like, when you see a stand-up comic, you know, stand-up comedy, it's kind of, it's like music in that sense, right? That when it's done well, it's the greatest thing in the world. And when it's done poorly, it is the worst thing in the world. Like, there's, I mean, if you, but when, if you watch a great comedian, if you watch, you know, like Dave Chappelle or Dave Attell or, so, you know, Chris Rock or someone like that just in their zone killing, it's just, uh, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And I, I always loved, like, about stand-up, I, I there's something about the fact that there's nothing else to it but a microphone and a mm. human being and their thoughts and that they can command this huge audience and get this reaction, like this one very specific targeted emotion that they're going to elicit from you. I always thought it was just like the most beautiful thing. And, um, and there's, nothing, there's nothing more fun than just mm. killing on stage. It's, it's just the best. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but I think that there are – a lot of similarities with hip hop music in particular, rap and stand up, um, because what you just described also sounds like rap, right? You you know you are the instrument. It's just yeah. you, you. You don't even need a microphone, right? It's just you, your voice, your thoughts, and that's it. No no guitars, no no drums, no like on a basic level anyway. Of course, you can add those things, but on a basic level, it's just it's just you, and you're very you're very exposed and yeah. you're also a truth teller, right? You tell stories, you tell the truth. And I think that hip hop artists in particular, more than other musicians and then comedians, to me, we are like the, what's the, what's the right word? We're like the, the bastions of free speech, I think. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's a really interesting comparison. I don't know if I ever thought about it just like that, but it's it's true where and and especially in in hip hop, I mean, you can like a rapper can be just freestyling a cappella with no beat and it's just and it's not the same thing as like, you know, if you're I mean, I suppose you could be passively listening to hip hop, but mm. pretty much if you're listening to a rapper, you have to be tuned into what they're saying. Where yep. someone could be playing an instrument and you could be like eating your dinner, just kind of it's in the background. But if you're enjoying a rapper, you have to really be listening to the words that they're saying to like mm -hmm. get it. And um, the, yeah, there's something about that. And I've, I've always been a big hip hop fan too. Awesome. I don't know too much. I don't know too much about the, the new stuff, but I grew up a huge <laughs> hip hop fan. I hear that. Well, I think a dope rapper is a rapper who's dope without instrumentation, yeah. right? I think with a lot of the way hip hop is going now, it's so reliant on cert on beats and auto tune and studio effects and all that stuff that you're not really hearing the rapper, right? A lot of those artists, if it's just like okay, just rap something a cappella. It's going to sound horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Because sure. they're, they're, and, and they're not saying anything. Right. But if you think of like dope rappers, they can have no beat, nothing. And they will blow your mind just by what they're saying. The metaphors, the punchlines, it'll have humor. It'll have storytelling, all of that. So I think um, I think the art forms are very similar, actually. 
Yeah, and I and I think that both uh, stand-up comics and rappers, at least historically and at their best, were very by nature anti-authoritarian, mm-hmm. and and by nature usually challenging kind of like the power structure, broadly speaking, whatever yeah. that would be. Now, that, of course, that's not true at its worst, um, but there there certainly there's a long tradition of that in uh, in hip hop. I I saw it recently. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's like a, a Wu-Tang fan page, but it's like pretty big on Twitter. It's got like a few some tens of thousands of followers, mm-hmm. you know, and they were they tweeted out a thing that was like, it's really concerning that these young people are going on spring break without their masks. And I, I remember just like looking at that as a child of the 90s and a big <laughs> Wu-Tang fan. You're like, What? Wu-Tang? You're worried about kids not following the rules? Like, your group was made up of gangbangers and, like, a <laughs> crackhead. Like, what? What has happened to the world? Like, no, again, I'm not defending gangbanging or using yeah, crack yeah. or anything like that. But there was the spirit of this was, like, a big middle finger to the whole establishment. And that was mm. a lot of hip-hop um, in, in the early days. So it was, it was like, heartbreaking for me to see like the the spirit of that being like better follow the rules guys like what is happening yeah it's happened a lot i mean it's happened in comedy it's happening across entertainment um it's sort of been interesting over the past several decades to see how the anti-establishment has become the establishment (laughs) in many ways and then i don't know like it's funny even with myself because i mean i've been i've been doing music now for for 15 years and i've always been like a like a you know a clean rapper you know no cussing on my albums i'm not rapping about any negative stuff no violence no drugs none of that and these days there are people who consider me like a controversial figure (laughs) and i'm just and i'm kind of and i'm kind of like what has happened over this period of time where I'm the one who's considered, you know, controversial or ooh, Zuby's a little he's he's a little bit edgy, you know. There's people who obviously a lot of people follow me on social media, but there are people who I actually have way more followers than the number shows because a lot of people won't follow me because they're afraid of like I've had people DM me saying like, "Hey man, I follow you, but I don't actually like I don't I won't hit the button and I don't interact or like your tweets because I'm worried that like my boss might my boss might see that I'm liking your tweets or I'm worried about what uh, these people, what my fellow musicians or fellow comedians might think if they see that I follow your account. And I'm just like, wow. I had one guy say um, he would, he, he does, he does, <laughs> he, he wanted to retweet me, but he doesn't want to retweet me because he's worried that people will accuse him of being racist. I'm like, right. So, so you don't, want <laughs> so you, so you, Mr. White guy, you don't want to tweet, retweet a black guy. <laughs> right. Because you're worried the other way. I was just like, where are we? What is going on here? Yeah, no, I mean, that just says it all. Everything is so upside down. And, and there, there is this weird, really, really weird dynamic, right, where the anything that is traditionalist has become the counterculture mm. because the culture is so dominated by the the new kind of establishment. I, I you know, I, I was I was talking about this with my uh, with my younger brother recently. Um, but you know, say whatever you want to say about like the left wing movement in the '60s, like the the hippie movement, the anti Vietnam protests and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They were legitimately a counterculture. Like sure. they were, you know, the the policy of the State Department and the Pentagon and uh, Richard Nixon and all that was the war in Vietnam, and they were mm-hmm. against that. They were opposing power. 
Um, now, I don't agree with everything about the, you know, the the sure. cultural revolution, but they were a, a counterculture. But today, you'll have like some left winger in, in on a college campus, and they will claim to be, uh, you know, uh, I'm opposing the system of white supremacy or whatever they, they think it is. And you're like, okay, well, if every major corporation, every politician, the all of Hollywood, all of academia, all of the corporate press is with <laughs> you, then how are you opposing the system? You're yeah. like, at least be honest and don't, because they still do it with this air of like, we're the counterculture. And it's like, no, you are not. You are the dominant culture. <laughs> and that, like, that's just objectively true. So it's everything's upside down. It's very strange. That's, that's funny, man. Um, so I know you've been, uh, we've been living through a weird time over this past 18 months. I know that you are someone who's been very vocal about the threat and the attack on basic human rights and liberty and freedom, which various governments all over the world have been doing in the name of safety and security and protecting people from a disease or a virus. Um, I've been very vocal about it as well. Um, but it seems actually that, again, I think this leads on from what you were saying, that in the entertainment world, people have been... I don't want to say surprisingly quiet because it doesn't surprise me, but people have been disappointingly quiet. And I don't know what it's like over there in the States, but in the UK, virtually every musician, rapper, DJ, singer, any entertainer I've spoken to in person or just one-on-one, -on -one, they're all, they've, throughout, they've, they've all been against lockdowns, right? They've been, because they can't, they can't tour, they can't perform even for selfish reasons, like they can't, they can't right. do their jobs, they can't earn money, etc., but so few people, right? You can count on two hands max the number of musicians and entertainers, certainly here in the UK, who have spoken out vocally against this in the past 16, 15, 16 months. Um, and it looks like in the US as well, it's been pretty quiet on that front. If they're saying anything, then it's the it's it's the government it's the government line. Right. Um I I don't know. I mean, do you think that's just an offshoot of what we were discussing before, or do you think there's something else going on there? Well, it, I think they're definitely related, and um, I, I think that it, in a lot of ways, COVID was um, was a test. You know, mm. it was like a stress test for where your civilization was at, and I think we failed mm. uh, by and large. Um, and I think that you know, to to see things like look, look just take for example, uh, like outdoor mask wearing. Yep. Um, which people, if I, I go to New York City quite often. And um, people are still masked up outdoors. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the majority of them have been vaccinated at yep. this point, you know, and they're still wearing masks outside. Now, there is and no science to back just, that up. Just to jump in, I'd probably assume if it's like the UK, there's probably more people doing that now than were this time last year. Oh, I, I certainly at least as many, if not yeah. more. And and so now you have, you know, I mean, it's there is not one documented case in the world of COVID being transmitted from a casual outdoor encounter. You cannot mm -hmm. get COVID from walking by someone yeah. on the street. There's there's no evidence to suggest you can, mm -hmm. um, but they're all still doing this. And to see that, to see things like that, to see uh, so many people across the West give up every ounce of, of liberty, every, uh, to, to overhaul every societal norm um, out of fear of something that you have, you know, 
like over a 99.9% chance for the vast majority of people or over mm -hmm. 99% chance of surviving, you know? Yeah. Um, it, like there was something weak in that foundation already. And I think we've really been trained in conformity for a long time. And I think that's kind of the essence of what you're talking about. Like, why is it that there are all these artists who privately, you know, through text message to me, will tell me, hey, I really appreciate what you're saying, but yeah. <laughs> they don't want to say it themselves. Um, and, and a lot of that is just because we've built up a thing for, for years now of, mm. of, like, you conform to the orthodoxies or you get slapped and you will get called every awful name in the book. And they play off the fact that most decent people – don't want to be called racist or yes. fascist or something mm -hmm. like that because we all rightfully think of those as being really awful things to be called and and we're we're you know social animals and so we all kind of don't want to be called those things publicly but to me as, as like a libertarian when you when you see governments going totalitarian in uh, on the uh, grounds that this could provide you a little bit of safety I'm like, well, I don't know. I've just been too schooled in the give me liberty or give me death camp. But mm. I don't care. I don't care if it was certain death. I still don't think you have the right to take away people's basic liberty. It's, it's like, you know, the, 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 to me, I, I don't understand how any, anyone uh, who claimed to believe in liberty, who didn't stand up uh, against the lockdowns over the last uh, year, I just, to me, they've, they've proven themselves useless. You're not really for liberty when it matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, most people aren't. And this is something I, I, I had a tweet from 2019, which was a little bit ominous, actually, because this is before any uh, pandemic situation. And I tweeted something like, everybody's, um, people love to talk about freedom and liberty, but the truth is most people value um, safety and security more than they do liberty. And I tweeted this back in like, I think, August or September 2019. And then I was like, whoa, how prophetic was that one? But it's something that I've thought for a long time, especially having traveled to a lot of different countries and just looked at history. You know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia myself, and I've always had this inkling, which has now been 100% proven, that even in the West, the whole freedom and liberty concept and the whole we live in a free country sort of thing, especially in Europe, U USA is the strongest protected in this regard because you actually have a constitution. But in most Western countries, I've always thought... It's a it's a bit of a myth, right? It's a cool myth. It's a it's a nice myth, but I'm not really sure how much people believe that and how real it is, right? Because if the government can just go, oh, there's there's sorry, there's a there's a little virus going around, guys. Like all of that stuff, <laughs> every single thing we've been talking about over these decades, all that liberty stuff, all that freedom talk, all that choice stuff, like gone out out the window. And it's like, I think people like yourself and myself were like, wait, I don't remember there being a caveat saying that, oh, if there's a, you know, right. if there, if there's um, an illness going around, then all of this stuff goes out the window. And what's also crazier with it, well, maybe not crazier, but it's like rubbing salt in the wound is that all of this stuff has been in my mind, in my opinion, and also I think a lot of data bears this out is that it's been to create an illusion of safety and security. It's not even real. It's not even real safety and security, right? So if there was like super strong, conclusive evidence showing, hey, you know, putting a piece of cloth over your face 
really significantly helps to reduce the the spread of this thing, right? Even then, like I'd still be opposed to the mandate part of it, but you could at least be like, I mean, number one, I think most people would do it just because if, you know, if, if it's conclusive, then it's like, hey, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to make, fair enough. Um, you don't need to mandate it, right? But then also it's just that that's not even the case, right? There isn't even strong evidence that there's no correlation between whether it's lockdowns or it's mask mandates. There's not strong correlation between those and reduced death numbers. You can just look at the 50 states of the U.S. You're in Jersey. That's the highest. Hasn't that been the highest? I think death per rate? capita Jer- it yeah. was. Jer- yeah. yeah, Jersey and New York, right? And we know they had tough measures and restrictions, et cetera. I think Florida is ranked number 27th or something. Texas is sort of somewhere in the middle. Um, And so it's not even like, oh, okay, you can clearly see, hey, well, here's our evidence. We're now a year and a half later and we can see, look, these places that people wore masks and that they did the lockdowns, you know, they didn't bear the brunt of it too bad. And look, all those places that were wide open, like they got ravaged. It's it's, it's just not the case like that. That's not those aren't even the facts. So it's even more like, okay, so you trampled people's liberties and freedoms and you still can't even say, okay, but we saved, you know, X hundred thousand people or, you know, you can clearly see the difference. That That's what makes it all even worse for me because I'm just like, it didn't even do anything, right? right? It's not even like, oh, wow, it made a huge difference. It's just like, and there are even arguments to be made that it could have made the whole thing worse. Um, and we're not even talking about the, let alone talking about the knock-on effects like that. that that's a whole, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole nother part. But, um, you know, telling people to stay home and stay indoors when you know, actually, the science is saying go outside and get sunlight and, you know, be around that and get vitamin D, it's actually possible that it, it, it exacerbated it. That's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah. It's, there, there's a strong argument that it might have. And certainly, if you're looking at this in any rational way, if you were going to justify a lockdown, like you're justifying robbing people of their most basic liberty, uh, kicking millions of people out of work, destroying mm-hmm. lives, setting children back, which is really th- the most disturbing part of all of this to me, mm-hmm. you would think that the onus would be on you to demonstrate that this conclusively, yes. not just does a little bit, to mitigate the virus, but like this really, like, you know, intensely, like yeah. hundreds of thousands of lives are saved. Yes. Minimum would be your standard to justify all of that. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, there's lots of things you could do theoretically to save lives that would rob people of their liberty that we all reject, you know, uh, out of hand without even thinking about it. You know, mm-hmm. you could, you, you know, make it illegal to cross the street or whatever, you know, and, and save some lives theoretically. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. And I think that historically, the, that uh, powerful governments always justify their power with the promise of security, and it's always an illusion. And it's always, I mean, you know, you think about like the worst totalitarian governments, the Nazis or, or you know, Stalin's Soviet Union, and that was their justification for, for everything, was that they were protecting their people. But mm-hmm. could you think of a society where people were less protected than in the Nazi than in Nazi Germany or something like, and I'm not even talking about like Jews in Nazi Germany, just your average German citizen. It, I mean, it was uh, the Nazis led them on a suicide mission. It, yeah. it wasn't, you know, they weren't protecting their own people. There was no benefit to anybody, um, and and the same with with the commies, and you know, so. But a lot of it, I think, is the kind of paradox, you know, the the contradiction of government itself, which is this idea that people cannot be trusted to do the right thing. 
You know, even if we're going to have like a welfare state or something like that, well, people wouldn't take care of each other on their own. So we have to have these welfare programs. And yet it's the people you're relying on to elect the politicians. So they won't do the right thing themselves. But I suppose we can count on them to do the right thing by voting for the right people. And mm -hmm. so if you're if you're going to say that, you know, as you were indicating before, yeah, I, people basically voluntarily did the things that would work to mitigate the virus, which essentially was like, don't stand one foot away from somebody <laughs> and have a long conversation with them, you know, and, and don't go out if you're sick and things yeah. like this. Very common sense things. And people did that. Uh, more mm -hmm. or less. And and so all of this government mandated stuff was a big sham. And, you know, Americans, we do have a constitution here, but that did not stop uh, most of the governors from shredding it over the yeah. last year. So, you know, it's nice to have the constitution. We have some very good stuff written in ours, but it is still just a piece of paper that was written a few hundred years ago. And the, the reality of the government is men with guns. So it's not, you know, there, there's, you know, it's like uh, you ever watch those videos where somebody like a cop will illegally stop someone and someone's like screaming at them and they're like, I know my rights. And then the cop just tases that guy. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, here's the thing about rights. They're just kind of an idea. You know, it's like the, yeah. the reality is the man with the taser in front of you right now. And so that's that's what we've been living through. Yeah. But at least you, you guys have some backup on that constitution. So we, at least we got it's the not, guns. Exactly. So at least the gun thing is two-sided. Like in, in Europe, it's just... The, the funniest thing with the UK and Europe, though, is a lot of people, I'd say the majority, I mean, I haven't polled this, but I believe that the majority of Europeans are very um, anti-Second Amendment, shall we say. And it's interesting because maybe because I, I grew up in... I went to the, both... I was in both the American and the British schooling system. So I got... So a lot of people wonder why I understand the U.S. and a lot of it is because I was, you know, I went to the Amer I went to an American school from kindergarten up until fifth, fifth grade, and I think they actually did a decent job of teaching American history and civics and stuff like that. So you get a decent understanding of that. Plus, of course, in my audience, I talk to a lot of libertarians, Republicans, you know, liberals as well, like people all across the board. So I understand the Second Amendment well. But when you're explaining it to people in Europe, it's funny because most people find the whole concept of a tyrannical government hilarious, right? They're like, oh, come on, like the, co the, gov the government would never, you know, why would the government go tyrannical? Like, why would that happen? And I'm like, bro, you're from Germany. Okay. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm kind of like, come on, dude, like, we don't need to go back that far in Europe to see multiple examples. I mean, of course, we've seen it this past year. Um, but I'm like, dude, on this continent, it's happened multiple times, let alone around the world. So the concept of like, I don't think it's by accident that the USA has never had a dictator, yeah. right? I don't think that's accidental. I don't think that's just because, oh, Americans are, you know, their leaders are just better or whatever. Like, I think that Second Amendment makes a freaking difference, right? It's like oh, yeah. they, they can they can push people, right? They can trample people's rights. They can infringe. But I feel like there's always there's a limit. Right? I think people know with America, it's like there's a limit. Whereas in most countries, certainly in a lot of Europe, th that's something that kind of concerns me. I don't think it concerns most people. They like the sort of, you know, the sort of safety of there not being a lot right. of guns around, which is sort of like a, to me, it's a little bit myopic. I think like in the grander scheme. Yeah, I get 
more guns is going to lead to more gun violence because um, that's going to be the weapon people use in many cases. But to me, it's like in the grander scheme, in the long term, I recognize that as like a safety, like a, like an ultra backup kind of thing, yeah. um, which will stop a country like the USA from ever having um, a real a real Hitler or a real Stalin or like a real Pol Pot or w- whatever it could be, even if you got a president who was, I mean, come on. Le- okay. So for people who thought like, okay, people who actually thought Trump was the next coming of Hitler, right? Obviously he wasn't, but for the people who really bought that narrative and believe he's a racist, he's a white supremacist, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, right? Like that, that should be a good case for a second amendment, actually. Like if you, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that, then, you know, when you've got people who are like, yeah, you know, we need to ban guns or do, I'm like, all right, so you want to give your guns to Hitler? Right. Right. Like, so, yeah. so you're so you're saying he's going to do all this. He's going to do this. To, he's going to hurt. He's going to hurt black people. And he's going to do this. I'm like, dude, if you truly believe that you should be getting you should be strapping up, man. Yeah. No. Uh, well, listen, there's contradictions all around. But you'd also think and, and I was actually um, very naively so. But I was a little bit optimistic when Donald Trump first won the election in 2016 that I was like, maybe this will make the left better. I Obviously, in hindsight, I was wrong <laughs> about that. But I was like, well, maybe they'll at least realize, like, yeah, if, if you know, Obama built up all of this executive power, and then mm. maybe they'd go, eh, I guess that was a mistake, because the next guy who comes and takes this power might be someone we really hate. And so maybe the president shouldn't have that much power. Maybe we should roll back the, the power of the federal government. But of course, no, it was... It was just hysteria and and none of this like reckoning ever happened. But yeah, I mean, look, there's there's contradictions on on all sides. The most blatant one is is that one. Trump is literally Hitler, but also <laughs> we want Hitler to have all the guns. Um, and uh, you know, but I, I do I, I will say I do see these like um, contradictions on on the right wing as well. Uh, I'll see people after you know there was after this uh, uh, police shooting. Uh, a few weeks back where the the female officer pulled her gun instead of her taser and mm. then they're like but look here's pictures of this kid with a gun on his social media and yeah, i'm like hey yeah. what happened what happened to gun rights people oh all of a sudden yeah. if someone had a picture of a gun now they're automatically the bad guy what because this kid was posing with mm. his gun to look cool on social media now all of a sudden you know he deserves to be executed by cop i mean so there's there's contradictions all around yeah. but but you are absolutely right that at at the very least, it was a prerequisite for the genocides for the people to be disarmed. Now, that's not saying that every government that disarms its people is necessarily going to go uh, genocidal. But if you take me through how, you know, uh, Hitler pulls this off with a well-armed Jewish militia roaming around, it's going to be a lot harder than it would have been after they were disarmed. And that's why all these tyrants uh, move to disarm their people very quickly. Yeah. And one of the strange arguments I, I always hear against it is the, oh, well, the government has more firepower. And I'm like, okay, so just because they have more, you think we sh- people should have none? Like, yeah. it, does, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, well, you know, you have to fight someone who's stronger than you. So you may as well just tie both your arms behind your back. Like, because they're going to beat you anyway. It's like, yeah, it's well, a, well, at least put up a fight. You know, like, yeah, like, <laughs> resistance if, is if, a thing. Uh, if three people who all have guns are breaking into your house uh, and I go, here's a gun, you can defend yourself. And I go, they have more guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want this gun. <laughs> don't give me a means to defend myself. It's also just, you know, the, the truth is, I mean, look, like, look, look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now. 
the the most powerful military in the history of the world is is going on our 20th year of of occupying this country and they still can't beat the taliban yeah. um because and the taliban i think control more territory now than than when we started and this is just men with guns resisting now this mm. doesn't mean it's not bloody and awful and they've taken a lot of losses and you don't you know it, it's not to say that the government couldn't still do a lot of damage but whatever means you have to to fight back against a theoretical or in this case you know a kind of real tyranny is always better than not having it yeah yeah it, that that argument is is so odd to me because i'm just like that doesn't i don't know but i think we live in a time when i don't know if it's always been like this maybe it's because with social media we're seeing more people's thoughts um but it seems like critical thinking it feels like it's at an all-time low, at least in my lifetime. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's true. It could be the social media effect where you are getting seeing a disproportionate number of stupid people with stupid opinions. And so it sort of seems like it's creating this illusion like uh, everybody's going crazy or like tons of people are stupid or whatever, but it doesn't totally align with real life. So I don't know what that is. But as you alluded to earlier, I think you get those contradictions because so many people simply pick a side and once they pick a side and they define and wrap their identity around that label um that label could be anything you know it could be a it could be a political party it could be um just a leaning you know if i say i'm a conservative then some people think okay well these are the 10 beliefs every conservative must have or these are the 10 beliefs you say you're a liberal these are the 10 beliefs you must have i mean maybe you actually only agree with seven and you're kind of more with the conservatives or libertarians on the other three or whatever it is. But a lot of people, I think most people are like that in the real world. But there's this artificial binary, which is created. And then it's also like a protective mechanism, right? Because if someone, say, is um, considers themselves a lefty or a liberal or a progressive, whatever label, and then they actually have like, mm, actually, I'm with the conservatives on those three issues, maybe. They're almost like it's like they're not allowed to do that, right? Because then they're not going to get embraced by the conservatives, but then they're also going to get shunned by the by the purists in their own faction. And people want to symbol their allegiance. In fact, we're now seeing this with masks, right? Why are a lot of those people in New York wearing masks, right? There's people saying I wear a mask because I don't want people to think I'm a Republican. Yeah. I don't want people to think I'm a conservative. People are openly saying that. So if people are openly saying it, how many more people are thinking it? Yeah. And then some of them not even consciously thinking it, but just wanting to be like, yeah, well, this lets everyone know that I am good person on team blue. But, you know, part of it is just the nature of the beast. This is who human beings are. I mean, look at sports. I mean, we like to pack into stadiums and lose our minds and divide over. I'm with red team. I'm with blue team and go nuts when they get a ball in a goal. Like (laughs) we we know it's completely inconsequential. Like nobody's pretending that anyone's life is going to be any different if like whatever, you know, that happens in, in the end of this sporting event. But we lose our minds for it. But I think that what's going on, uh, certainly in the United States of America, but I, I really think across the West, is that the, the, the system is crumbling on, on many different levels. And I think people know this, that they're, they're, you know, what, what you're witnessing in America right now is really the fall of an empire. I mean, it's, it's, there's a country who uh, can no longer win its wars, balance its budgets, 
uh, you know, like control its borders, control, like all the basic functions of government. That, and this is the greatest, you know, the, supposedly the most powerful government that's ever existed. And they can't, you know, like, are, you know, they can't even get an infrastructure bill passed or something like that. Like they can't do anything. And what what's happened is that simultaneously with the, this collapse, the the corporate press has lost their monopoly um, on on the control of information. I mean, just this conversation, right, is just one of like thousands that are out there with huge audiences and and people are are getting their information from all different ways they don't have to go to cnn anymore and they don't have to and and so they're losing their power as the system is is falling apart um who i i really personally blame the bush uh the w bush dick cheney administration for for ruining the 21st century uh still that's where I, what i haven't changed since uh, mm. my libertarian days i still think i was <laughs> right about that but so now everybody's kind of spinning out and i think that when the the center uh you know the the supposed moderate establishment center of the country has been so discredited it they're no longer able to control the radical fringes so this is part of the reason why the radical leftist socialists, the radical left woke uh, people have gained so much traction. It's part of the reason why uh, right-wing nationalism has gained so much traction uh, across the West, because people now can look at the establishment. And if things are pretty sound, if, if everything is pretty stable and going in a good direction, then the establishment is usually able to kind of be like, look, you don't want to go crazy over here or over there. But come back to us. We're running a pretty good society for you. But when mm -hmm. society is falling apart, all of a sudden the radical voices don't seem so crazy. It's like, well, we got to do something, you know, and, and so – the, the, this is what you're seeing. I think the whole system kind of like peeling apart. And then I, to me, I think the role of people who believe in liberty is to almost, you know, be like, well, we want to reclaim the center and be the real moderate, you know, centrists who say, look, the solution here is just liberty. It's mm -hmm. always been what the best goal was in every society that's flourished the most have been the ones who had the highest degree of individual liberty. Let let people do what they want to do. If you want to go be a radical leftist, that's fine, but you can't force that on everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's that uh, you know so, so so that's the challenge as I see it. Yeah, that's the tricky part though cuz by definition being a radical leftist, you do want to force that yeah. on everybody else. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a confusing one cuz one observation I've made and again, you've seen this throughout history but it's been interesting to witness it in real time is that People do, the majority of people do value safety and security more than they do liberty and freedom. And maybe yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think if it's true safety and security, that's one thing. But like I said before, if it's an illusion, then I think that's pretty, I think it's pretty dangerous. And I think most people don't want to say that because no one wants to say I value safety more than I value liberty. Like it's not really a cool thing to say and it sort of sounds very un-american for sure and maybe a bit like non-western i think in other parts of the world they're a bit more open about that maybe that's why they're more open to have kind of like clearly more authoritarian and more controlling regimes rather than even sort of pretending that there's true freedom of speech or true various types of freedoms again i say this is someone who grew up in the middle east but um i think in the west i think actually Human beings are mostly the same everywhere, but we sort of tell different stories. Every culture, every country, they tell a different story, right? The American story, it's very much, you know, freedom and liberty. And uh, even in the UK, it's more 
that it's more based around that. But I think the sort of DNA and the hardware of human beings. And I think you see you see the reality when there is a threat, real or perceived, right? I think when when a threat comes and people are afraid, it activates what's dormant, right? So the people who are truly liberty-minded, myself and yourself, we get activated, yeah. right? We get activated, right? We're suddenly like, oh, okay, this is a this is a threat. This is a real threat to liberty and safety. No, we don't. We don't want this. We need to push back against this. Like these things you're mandating. No, this is this is dangerous. This is a bad idea. But it also wakes up the dormant authoritarians. Yes. Right. So all these millions of people actually who before seemed, I don't know, liberal, <laughs> um, you know, freedom supporting when they are scared, they won't only embrace authoritarianism. They'll demand it. Yeah. That's something that I've really learned. Like they'll, they'll demand it. It's not it's not even good enough that. I can wear a mask if I choose to, or I can stay at home if I choose to, or I can close my business if I choose to. It's no, you must, everybody else must do this thing as well. And they will advocate for it. You'll have seen people, hey, my neighbor's outside in their garden not wearing a mask. They're calling the police. I mean, this. <laughs> I saw a thing in, the, in uh, Australia of a woman snitching on her husband for walking the dog, snitching on her husband to the police. And you just see these things. And I'm like, man, where did these people come from? Like, they've always been there. Yeah. But like a dormant volcano, you didn't know until something woke it up. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really great point, man. And there's, there's a lot there. And, you know, I, I would say, even me, right, as, as a radical libertarian, <laughs> I mean, if we're just talking in pure abstract values, I, I think I, I could be convinced, or, or if I'm just being honest with myself, that in some ways I value security more than than liberty too, or more than just pure freedom. I mean, there's nothing I value more than the safety and security of my wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. like, that is more important to me than any amount of liberty. I would give up yes. all of my liberty to keep them safe. And so I certainly understand where that is, like that's part of the human, you know, condition in a mm. way, right? Like there's nothing more important, just having freedom. I mean, if someone told me like, oh, I can't, I, I can't travel anymore, but my wife and daughter will be safe versus I could travel, but they're at risk. I mean, that's a very yes. easy decision for, I will give yeah. up my freedom to travel and, and keep them safe. So it's not, you know, the, like the, the belief in liberty, I think in many ways is a recognition that it's a false choice and that, you know, like the, there, there is also a real threat to your security uh, and and uh, to to your safety from authoritarianism, and that you know in the twentieth century, I think over two hundred million people were killed by their own governments, and this mm -hmm. is aside from wartime. I mean, if you count the wars in too, it's just like a bonkers high number. So, in some ways, we have to uh, you know uh, let people realize that that is also a real threat to their safety. Like mm -hmm. that is also, uh, you know, a, 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 a real concern because you're right. It doesn't sound cool in most Western societies to say that. But look, uh, one of the things that was really shocking and revealing about the whole uh, um, COVID regime is how quickly they were able to, to convince people. I mean, they, so quickly they were able to convince uh, Western, Western civilization to give up every societal norm. I mean, mm -hmm. everything. Down, not just showing your face in public, but like the the idea that you can go to a bar or to work <laughs> or to church. I mean, the most basic things all yeah. given up all just a two week campaign. Now, 
Can you really, are you really, you know, convinced, even if you think COVID was every bit the threat they made it out to be, and it certainly is a nasty virus, um, but could they have just made something up and gotten that same reaction? I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced they, they wouldn't have been able to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, the, the fact that they got us all to cave so quickly is, is pretty troubling. Yeah, it is. It's also troubling how desperately people are clinging to it. How many people have made it their identity? Um, as you said, you've got people fully vaxxed, still rocking masks outdoors. Yep. You've got people saying, "I'm, you know, I'm never giving up." I look, if you if you want to wear a mask forever, you you can wear a mask forever. Um, but there are people who are fully vaxxed, and they won't even meet up with friends who are also fully vaxxed, and they're still freaking out about the fact that, like, the logic is just logic has just been gone out the window for such a long period of time. That's the part that is really weird to me because I'm just like, people are just not thinking, yeah. right? People are just not thinking. I, I was talking to someone over the weekend, again, who's fully vexed. Um, she's got, um, oh, well, yeah, I won't reveal who it is, but, you know, it's a, it's a she, she's, she's uh, her relatives also, I can't remember if it was an aunt or an uncle, also fully vexed. Um Hasn't seen, I think it was an uncle, hasn't seen him in a, a year and a half. And I was like, okay, like, well, why not? Why not now? And it's like, yeah, but you know, there's still a risk. And I'm like, wait, you, you've had both doses? It's like, yeah, he's had both doses. It's like, yeah. So what's the problem? And it's like, yeah, but you know, it's still, I'm just like, like, like look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like going to force you to do anything, but I'm just like that, like, what's the, what was the point do you do you do you not do you not believe that it works right like if you don't believe it works well it works why did you get it but if it does like if you've had it like to me those are the real anti-vaxxers right it's the people who have had it (laughs) and they're still and they're still acting as if like it it doesn't work and it makes no difference and they're at horrible risk from people who haven't had it like you know what i mean like it, it makes it makes no sense like if you are protected you're protected what everybody else does doesn't matter. And no one is even really raising, not a lot of people are even raising that point, right? Everyone's like, you know, no one is safe until everyone. And I'm like, that. what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. And, like, and, and wh- right. And, and just that if we like living in as a, as a human being, we all have to tolerate some level of risk and kind of make a judgment call about when somebody's being neurotic or in some mm. cases like to a crippling level of neuroticism like you know if if you if you were to say you know I'm really concerned about um uh getting in a car accident cuz a lot of people you know die in car accidents mm. and you said so I'm going to make sure I get a car that's like uh you know has high safety ratings and I'm going to make sure I always wear my seatbelt and I'll I'll never drink and drive or something like that we'd be like mm. yeah that's pretty reasonable that seems like a reasonable way to mitigate that risk. But if you were to say, I'll never go in a car, yeah. we'd be like, well, that's a little nutty. I mean, because the, <laughs> the risk is so low and you're going to live your life in fear of this. Yeah. So when you're talking about two people who have both been fully vaccinated, I mean, to not see friends and family. Again, I'm with you. I mean, I don't want to force anyone to do anything. But you can comment and go, this is an insane way to live. Yeah. And this is like, you know, this is not what life is. Life is about more than just staying alive, right? Like life is about human interaction and enjoying life and, and, and all of these things. So it's um, it's it's really troubling to see that there are so many people in, in that. And I think that, you know, one of the, the things that we've really seen over this last year, and it's true you know, it's it's true. I think with kind of like the the rise of the woke, 
uh, over the last decade. And then the people who are who are kind of like criticizing wokeism and critical mm -hmm. race theory and all of this stuff, a lot of times we are in the position of using logic. We're trying to point out logical inconsistencies in this worldview. And and we realize that we're you're you're bringing a knife to a gunfight like this. You're you know, like there if someone were to point out a logical inconsistency in your worldview, mm -hmm. that would bother you. Yes. That like that would that would gnaw at you like, oh, yeah. I contradicted myself here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're assuming that that would also gnaw at this other person. But how many you know, how many times <laughs> have you pointed out a logical contradiction to some social justice warrior? It doesn't bother them at all because you're coming at this with, with rationality and they're coming at this with emotion. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find a way to, to battle on that front. And over the last year, it, it's not just that people were scared, um, although that's certainly part of it. It, people bought into this psychologically. There yes. was there was something for them. You know what um, what Black Lives Matter or what being a social justice warrior offers to those young people who buy into it is not a logical, rational argument. What they offer them is a place in the world. Mm -hmm. You are the good guy, and mm -hmm. you are in the fight against bad people. I mean, that's that's pretty exciting, right? To be like some white privileged college kid and now you get to be the savior of black people you know like yep. that's now it, it what what the covid stuff offered these people is you are one of the good people who believes in science you are not one of these e evil trump supporters who would have old people killed mm. there there is something very deeply validating that these people that's why these things spread right because they offer people something and i'm not saying i have the perfect answer but if we don't figure out a way to, to take that on and find a way to offer people something, uh, you know, in a different role, um, then then we're just we're, we're fighting past each other, which is the case so often, yeah. so often, you know, and there's like, like Ben Shapiro can go to some college and and dunk on some social justice warrior. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't disturb. It doesn't like deter that kid from still believing all of this stuff. It's just they just rationalize that he's the evil Jewish Nazi mm -hmm. and they're the good guy. And that's that's it. Yeah. It's it's a funny one, man. It's it's a weird one. We live in such an interesting time because on one hand, like I always have to remind myself this is something I rem have to remind myself of every single day, which is that we are you know, maybe not this exact moment in time, but generally this era we are living in the greatest, fairest, most prosperous, safest, least racist, least sexist, least misogynistic, least homophobic, least all these isms and phobias which people are acting as if they're getting worse and worse and worse. We're actually living in the best time ever. I mean, I say this all the time on this podcast that what we're doing right now is basically magic, right? Like we're thousands of miles away from yeah. each other. We're having a conversation in real time. We can see each other in HD. We've got hundreds of people tuning in all around the world simultaneously. And then we can broadcast this out to thousands and thousands more um, automatic, like, it's it's witchcraft as far yeah. as like our ancestors would be concerned, right? And things um, and things oh, oh, like you know, and and as cool as that is, things that are so much more important. I mean, like, uh, so mm. my my wife's cousin um, had she had major complications in her pregnancy and and went into uh, had her child prematurely. The baby was a pound and a half wow. uh, when it was born. He's fine. 
Yep. A awesome. cute little boy. He's doing completely yeah. fine. You know what I mean? Great kid. Like everybody's happy and healthy. If this was 20 years ago, this baby would have died. Yeah. I mean, like we there are these advancements all around us that we're mm -hmm. just it's just like, oh, yeah, that's. So what's more important than that for any of the challenges that we might have to deal with? What's yeah. more what's more important than a baby living who would have died just a few decades ago? And and like, you know, so it's it's easy to lose sight of this. I remember my, my buddy, uh, Scott Horton. Who's uh he's he's total genius. He he's uh runs antiwar.com. Um, but he uh he was saying it recently where he was like, oh, a friend of mine was like, I'm looking at all these YouTube videos of like these radical leftists and then these alt writers, and he's like, I'm really worried we're gonna have a race war in this country. And he goes, Ah, dude, I just got back from Chuck E. Cheese. It's cool. <laughs> Everything's fine. He goes, We got white people and black people and Mexicans and everyone's there and we're all just having pizza with our kids. Yeah. Like none of this is real. You know yeah. what I mean? It's really so much of it is is like propaganda. Um mm. and I, I think that in some ways because we have so so much wealth and so so many resources that we've allowed the cancer to grow. Yes. Because we're comfortable enough that we don't need to fight it off immediately. And this is why we have, you know, like um, despite all of these problems being uh, so, so much better than they've ever been. You know, it's like we, you know, America is a less racist place than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we're constantly hearing about white supremacy and all of yeah. this stuff. And a, a lot it's of it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird dynamic. But I think it's also why governments have gotten so powerful, because yeah. we've gotten so much wealthier that we don't feel the need to resist the growth of the state the way mm -hmm. we should. I think what, yeah, th th those are some great points there. I think what also happens, and this has been interesting to watch, is that this is something, I mean, I don't like to use the term the left, but I'll say it now. The left are always amazing at word games, right? Like so much of what they do is about language control and redefining words, etc. And what happens with a lot of them is, I call it label inflation, right? So the meaning of white supremacy is supposed to mean, right, someone, a person or an ideology which asserts that the white race are inherently superior to all other human beings, right? You know, Hitler stuff, Aryan stuff, right? Like you, KKK, like white people inherently just by dint of birth are superior, whether that's stronger, smarter, more fit to run, people who should run the government, like what, whatever it is, like that's what it actually means. But it's been it keeps it's been redefined and is being in the process of being diluted. Why are we now hearing about white supremacy more now than 10 years ago? Is it because the KKK is rising up again? No, it's because now they use it to mean just anything. Like it basically they now use it to mean basically like white um, dominance, even if it's just in terms of, of numbers, right? Like majority, basically. Right. Oh, you know, there's eight white men on TV. This is white supremacy. Right. Oh, a white guy made this decision. This is white supremacy. A white person did something bad. This is white supremacy. And I'm like, that's not what the term means. Same, they've done it with, with racism, right? So if you're talking to one of these leftists and you're saying racism and they're saying racism, you're talking about two different things. This is where you get the whole, oh, only white people can be racist nonsense, which is just a bastardization of the proper definition. If you show them the dictionary, they'll say, oh, well, the dictionary is outdated. And you know, they're in the process of trying to redefine the words men and women, right? man, woman. You know, what's a woman? Oh, anyone who identifies as a woman. It's just like, and they're doing this with so, with so many words. And to me, that's something that is, uh, 
I think that's genuinely, I think that's like a, a, a genuine threat and danger for a, a lot of reasons because maybe I'm a rapper, so I'm very like, uh, this is kind of close to my heart, but I think words and language being used properly is actually extremely important. You know, George Orwell talked about this a lot in 1984, right? Why do they restrict the language and create newspeak? Because it alters people's thinking. And once it alters their thinking, it can alter their behavior. So when I see people just destroying the English language in such a way, I'm like, hmm, that's, again, and historically, that's not good. Like when, when that happens, that's not good. Mm, mass censorship, that's not good, right? These can always be precursors to worse things, especially when people use them for nefarious reasons, right? So if you're someone who believes that um, only white people can be racist and also white people cannot experience racism, that's dangerous, right? If you're saying that, you know, that, then it can just be, oh, you can say whatever, you can say whatever you want about, you know, white people, which if you were to say about any other racial or ethnic group, right, you would be, you'd be kicked off of, I mean, you see stuff on Twitter, like against white people. I'm like, if you substituted the word white there with black, Jewish, Asian, Arab, anybody else, your account would be gone within 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you wrote the book, White Fragility about any other race, (laughs) you're David Duke. Like you literally, literally you'd you'd be completely ruined in our society. And then um, if you point that out, you know, if you go like, hey, look, there's a whole lot of anti-white racism going on here, that that is such a dog whistle to a- anyone on the left that they're like, oh, you're basically a Nazi now. Yeah, like just the amazing. fact that all, all you had to do is just say, hey, I don't think we should be demonizing <laughs> white people. And that that means you must hate black people like this. It's, it's insane. It's, so it's a very uh, like it, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's incredibly destructive. And they they use the, this shift in language to demonize anybody who would speak up against against it. And and so yeah, it's very dangerous, but it's also and and this is kind of where my focus has been uh recently is that it's also I think very intentionally and carefully designed. It is. And you know, there's I think too much of the focus sometimes even from people who I really admire and and love. Like I I really admire Jordan Peterson and I think it's it's great when he talks about the academic um uh foundation of a lot of these kind of woke ideas. And I, I, he puts a lot of it on the postmodernists. I think there's a lot that the Frankfurt School contributed to, but like critical theory and all of that stuff. It, this is the, the you know, th- this was the, the base of all of this. But I, I think what's even more fascinating to the predicament we're in right now is like, okay, but why is, okay, so there are some left-wingers uh, at, uh, you know, academics who believe some of this stuff. But why is it that every major corporation, the mm-hmm. CIA, the FBI, all of Hollywood, all of, you know, like everyone's pushing this down everyone's throats. And I think that they really, the powerful jumped on this stuff and they use it as a distraction. I think it's it, it, it works out to be like this perfect divide and conquer uh, mm-hmm. tactic where you get, you know, so here's one example I had, right? So uh, Raytheon. Uh, you know, our, our weapons company here mm-hmm. in America, um, who's they're in the business of making weapons that they then sell to our federal government for taxpayer dollars that are then dropped on human beings when mm-hmm. we have enough weapons to already blow up the entire world like a million times over. There, it's just a complete racket on every level with, that ends up killing innocent people. And Raytheon puts out this uh, flyer that's like a transgender person. On I know, I know. And they're like, <laughs> 
Like, working at Raytheon is such an inclusive environment, and I identify as they, them, and blah, blah. Now, I post this. I was making some joke about it. (laughs) And then I'll see right-wingers on, like, responding to me on Twitter, and they're like, yeah, what an idiot. Like, how do you call yourself they, them? You're only one person. And it's like, nah, man, you're missing the point. The joke here isn't like, ha ha, look at this trans person. The joke here is that Raytheon thinks you're so stupid Mm -hmm. that you will just get into this fight. And that the left-wingers are like, oh, that's really great. They're an inclusive environment. And then the right-wingers are like, no, that's really stupid. You can't identify as they. And no one's focused on what the (laughs) real story is here, which is that Raytheon is making bombs to blow up children. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, it's very, and, and the left to me, it's like, I look at the left wing um, 20 years ago, they were protesting the war in Iraq. 10 years ago, they were protesting the banker bailouts. And now they're just completely obsessed with this woke identitarianism garbage. And if you were trying to distract the left from the issues that actually threaten power, like if this was all a plot, Mm -hmm. it would be a really effective one. It, It worked really well. You ever see yep. those charts, uh, Zuby? You ever see like the the Nexus charts of mentions of racism in the New York Times and mentions of they're like it's like after 2010 they just shoot up, mm-hmm. shoot up. Like they, it, racism went from being mentioned like a few hundred <laughs> times uh, uh, to being like thousands of times every month. Every article on white supremacy and racism they flooded the market with mm-hmm. all of this woke propaganda, and it's it's worked extremely well. It does, and divide and conquer is the. The thing that disturbs me about this is that it always works. That's the thing that really disturbs me is like you go back, you read history, you can go back centuries, millennia, decades, look at around the world, whatever. And divide and conquer is one of the oldest tactics in the book, creating artificial distractions, old tactic, propaganda, old tactic. But they are still so extraordinarily effective. I mean, I think they work on everybody to a degree. I don't think anybody is totally immune. Um, I think, you know, people like myself and yourself are more have have greater immunity than than average. But what freaks me out is just how because it's also very predictable as well. Like once you once you see through that matrix, it's really predictable. It's like, okay, I can see what they're trying to do here. Yeah, I, I, no, can, I can see what they're trying to right. do. Yeah. But but still, I, I think you're absolutely right that no one's 100 percent immune to it. Like, I know I've fallen into it myself. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's you know, it it takes work to not fall into it. I know I've I've been guilty of like seeing some woke college kid and you're just and it just makes you furious. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this kid's an idiot and I just want to dunk on him. And then you almost have yeah. to take a step back and go, I'm talking about a 19 year old. Here, you know what I mean? I'm talking about a 19 year old who probably, you know, just going on off the numbers is probably raised by a single mom was put on Ritalin from the age eight on is now getting a degree where he's going $100,000 into debt and is going to go work at Starbucks and never have a chance to own a home or or take care of a wife and children. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I'm just furious that he believes there's 72 genders. Maybe I'm (laughs) part of the problem here. You know what I mean? Like, and and it takes work to not let yourself get triggered uh, by a lot of this stuff. But I would say to, to your point that it's like, yeah, divide and conquer always works and all of that stuff. But like you said before, we are, 
you know, uh, the, the human species has advanced quite a bit throughout the years. And we still have this like great traditions of the enlightenment and like great thinkers and, and, and the, you know, uh, um, the founding fathers of America. And although very flawed people said some mm -hmm. really great stuff, wrote, mm -hmm. some, wrote some really great stuff down on paper and gave us a, a good tradition to strive for. And, um, you know, like there's there and I am really still even though I know it's kind of fashionable now and understandably to um, to kind of trash the the effect that social media has had on, on society. And I understand there's bad stuff there. And I'm as against the tech censorship and all of that as anyone else. And mm. I hate the, the there are poisonous aspects to social media. No question about it. But I look at the the rise in the alternative media and, and just like conversations like we're having and all of these different people. And, you know, you watch all these people freak out about Joe Rogan because he's bigger and more powerful than any of them. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like a real case for optimism. Like there is there there is a, a real opportunity here for us to kind of take the next step in human evolution. I hear that, man. 100 percent, bro. Dave, I know we could we could talk for we could talk for a long time. We've just gone over an hour. I normally try to keep it around that length. But do you have anything coming up that you want people to check out or be aware of? Uh, if you're in, a, I, I'm I'm doing some of the like Liberty Festival stuff this summer. If you're if you're in America, if you're by New Hampshire, uh, I'll be at Pork Fest and in South Dakota at Freedom Fest. Uh, but uh, Comic Dave Smith on Twitter and uh, my podcast is part of the problem. Always doing that. Awesome, Dave, man. It's been so good to talk to you. We'll have you on again in the future, most definitely. Anytime, brother. Thanks for having me. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.